Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockman Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bike Pack Adventures podcast. Before we get rolling into this episode, I just have to shout it out that school's out for summer. And then, you know, the whole song goes on. Uh, I'm so happy summer break has started. I don't have to deal with any more kids, except for my own, for the foreseeable future. So that's fantastic. Yeah, it's really fun. It's really great. I have been sleeping in a bit. Uh, Allergy season has hit me full blast. So these last few days have been quite bad, especially at night. Um, So, yeah, it is what it is, right? Um, in other news, Vincent Nadon went out and rode the Canadian Shield bikepacking route, which is 900 kilometers long and has 12,500 meters of elevation gain. And he has set the new FKT with finishing time of 93 hours, 42 minutes. I had to make a few adjustments because there was a few times, a couple times where he had to reroute. And um, I didn't think it's fair to leave that um, out and back time to get to a reroute on his time. So I've accommodated that and I think that makes sense I've also readjusted the route to to fit with those reroutes because one of them the land was just gone uh there'd been a washout on the road and it was like 10 feet deep or something so but there was a perfectly um suitable alternative and so I used that yeah it might sound long 93 hours for 900 kilometers I you know compare this to to other long bikepacking routes in the region and uh but you gotta remember there's a lot of single track on this trail and it will definitely crush your spirits and most likely your legs and uh it just kind of drags down your overall riding speed so uh, i think uh um judging from my experience last year when i tried to do the 1000 before i adjusted the distance and uh reworked the route um i was also kind of giving myself three days and I knew I wouldn't accomplish it. I wouldn't be able to get it done and I had to get home a little bit earlier anyways to prepare for school and all that stuff. So I think 93 hours, 42 minutes is good. And if you're out to ride it and just have a fun time, uh, definitely set your daily limits and expectations a little bit lower than you would on other bikepacking routes. So I was actually planning to to go and start riding the Canadian Shield XL today, which is the 1200 kilometer version of this route. Uh, which according to Ride with GPS has 15,500 meters of climbing, but it's going to probably be closer to 20 or over. I will definitely let you guys know. I delayed it for a day. We have a heat wave here in the area, and I think today's temperature is going to be 38 degrees Celsius. I plan to leave tomorrow morning really early, and I'll have to ride through one wicked hot day. But then it'll be a little bit better the following days. So my, my plan is to just really hydrate tomorrow when I'm riding, um, you know, lots of electrolytes. I'm sponsored by Race Day Fuel, so lots of scratch products. I'll be using their carb replacement as well as electrolytes. And um, I might even take a little bit of a protein powder with me just to allow myself uh, a little bit of recovery while I'm out there. Yeah, so I'll definitely fill you guys in on how that goes. And hopefully I'll finish by the end of Sunday, early Monday morning, could be later. Uh, it depends. I know the route's tough. So uh, if you enjoy the podcast and feel you're in a position to contribute and help the continued growth of this podcast, I'd really appreciate you considering to join as a Patreon supporter. You can do that by going to www.patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And you can also um, make one-time donations through PayPal. And uh, yeah, that would be really, really appreciated. 
right now, it's more important ever to get as much help as I can with the website. Um, at the summit, I was going onto the website and I noticed a redirect and it, apparently it went to a porn site. And about a week after that, I had a message from a guy in Ottawa named Jose. He works at Shopify. He's a programmer. And he was like, yeah, man, I was going to link something to your website. Um, he has a bike route collection in Ottawa. And he said, then I noticed you had some kind of, uh, you've been hacked and you have something input on your website that's causing a redirect. So I started looking into it and I'm very, very naive and unknowing in these kind of things. And uh, Jose was really great. He, you know, we did a screen, uh, we shared a screen. He helped me identify things. We deleted them and it's been better since, but he made it really clear to me in my inexperience of website development that WordPress.org is kind of like an Android phone. You know, backdoor access can be had by both the developer, the creator of the website, but also that leads uh, open doors and stuff to, to hackers and people that know what they're doing. And he suggested I move my, I rebuild the site with something else. And so I've decided to create the website with a Webflow. I, I've been onto it for a little while. I've, I've been looked at it and it looks complicated. It's quite tough, but like everything, it just takes a bit of time and practice and patience and um, a good ability to look at videos on YouTube and search the important things. So I've been working hard at that, but that also means I've been spending more money than I had planned for this year on the website because I'd already paid all the fees and stuff for WordPress and hosting. And all of a sudden now I'm paying for another site like Webflow and developing that. So yeah, any help out there is really appreciated. Um, you know, he kind of told me like Webflow and Wix and Weebly and all these other websites are kind of like your Apple iPhone, you know, like hard to hack, hard to get viruses because it's such a closed system. And that's what he recommended to me. So I'm, I'm working on that. I'd just like to give a quick thank you to Kirby Barney for supporting the podcast through Patreon and as well as to Jeffrey Nickerson and Fran Francois Ifra uh, for helping out through PayPal. So I really do appreciate it. It is incredibly kind of you guys. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting to actually be putting some little changes. And I think eventually I'll be having a way, way better website just by going through this process and uh, learning about all the really cool things you can do with Webflow. So thanks for all your contributions. Before jumping into the podcast with Megan, I want to apologize about the audio quality this week on this episode. I think I had made some changes to the noise gate on the mic, and so it wasn't picking up some of the, the softer sounds. And I, I could recognize, I could kind of hear them in the background when I was editing, so I had to go through the whole recording. And every time I saw the sound was low, I had to amplify it a bit more. And it's only with me speaking, so Megan's was perfect. And, and since I don't speak all that often or I try not to on the podcast I think it's not too too bad I know that my speaking might be a little jittery and stuff on this one but uh I do apologize for that and um I've since readjusted my mics so I think even this intro stuff should sound really good and um yeah hopefully it's not a problem in the future it's always tough to record multiple people at once and you you know it's uh, in person is it's definitely more challenging than uh over a computer in this episode of the Bikepack Adventures podcast, Megan and I talk about bikepacking in the Canadian Shield region of Ontario and Quebec. Over the 24 days she spent in the region, Megan rode somewhere close to 2,000 kilometers, maybe even more. In particular, riding the Loop de Loup, Canadian Shield 400, and the Log Driver's Waltz, setting overall FKTs on the CS400 and the Log Driver's Waltz. I was very grateful to have Megan as a keynote speaker at the inaugural Canadian Shield Bikepacking Summit. And for all the opportunities I had to talk about bikes over the three weeks she stayed at my house with my family. No doubt we drove everyone in the household a little bit crazy with our endless chatter, but uh, it was fun. I enjoyed it. So to my wife and her, her family, my extended family, I apologize for that. Anyhow, Megan, welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures podcast again. So uh, yeah, hey, welcome everybody. I'm sitting here with Megan Hackenin, if you don't already know her. Um, I forget what episode I ever interviewed her previously, but it was sometime in the last year and a half, maybe. Yeah, I think it was in the fall. I think it was a fall episode. I think so. Changing of seasons. So anyways, yeah, she's been uh, staying here for a few weeks now and I can't believe it's already three weeks. Yeah, I'm such a mooch. And um, <laughs> yeah, we just thought before my dog's going to make all kinds of noise. I don't know what she's trying to do. She's trying to get into her pen. For a smart dog, she's kind of dumb. Hold on. 
All right, I'm back. Dog is kind of sorted out. <laughs> All that noise is her walking around. Anyway, so yeah, Megan's been here for a few weeks. She was the keynote speaker at the Canadian Shield Bikepacking Summit. And then she also did some pretty worthwhile rides while in the neighborhood. Oh, heck yes, I did. And um, yeah, so not going to do a huge intro, but welcome, Megan. Thank you for having me um, stay at your house for three weeks. Your hospitality has been enormous. I've, I've really enjoyed being here with your family. And yeah, thanks for having me on the podcast again. Yeah. So how's it been? How's Ontario and Quebec been for you? Oh, oh man, it's been super fun. I keep saying that, like, I love Ontario. And then the Quebec people look at me like this isn't Ontario. And I'm like, I forget everyone speaks English here. Um, but the Canadian Shield has been like an awesome region to explore so much wildlife, like the ferns, the rock. It's really beautiful. And the terrain is super challenging. I think in the West, we just think we have it the best, right? We have these mountains and these glacial lakes, but... It's it's pretty rad here, so uh, I'm stoked that I get to explore it for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. And um, what are some of the dogs going nuts? What are some of the routes you've ridden while you were here? Um, I did the Log Drivers Waltz Loop de Loop, and I did the Canadian Shield 400. And I've ridden a ton in the Gatineau Park. Well, I guess not a ton compared to you who lives here and knows every trail, but quite a bit. And then uh, I just finished an ITT of the Log Drivers Waltz um, this morning at 4.43 a.m. or something. Yeah, when I woke up, I came in the kitchen. There you were. And I was like, hey. (laughs) uh, And I was like, I haven't showered in two days. That happens. I think you were showered by then. Oh, good. Um, But anyways, yeah. So... I guess it was a good, a little good advantage, like an advantage to being here for three weeks is that, you know, knowing that you wanted to ITT the log driver's waltz, you had lots of time to prepare for it and ride different sections or particularly the sections around the Quebec part because that's where we are. Yeah, definitely. I think it was really advantageous to get to know the park a bit and understand like what kind of trails that I'd be riding on and, um, You know, the route's quite clear, but just having that familiarity with things. In one section, there was a reroute due to construction on the campground. Black Phillip, I think. Yeah, yeah, that was it. And it was a bit, it was a bit strange. And when I did it, when I was kind of just riding in the park, I I was a bit confused about where to turn off. And I was like, are you sure this is the bike path? No, it's a hiking trail. Um, But, you know, I got to get that out of the way before I was like trying to race it for an ITT. So that was a good thing. Um, yeah, because it'd be quite challenging to to do the ITT and then all of a sudden have these dilemmas, things that you yeah. really can't <laughs> My dog's <laughs> just trying to climb on top of me. It's like, just bugger off. She has like no idea. <laughs> like, we're trying to do something else right now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so it was a great, it was great that you had a chance to like ride the whole park section and. And I think the loop the loop basically is the northern part of the log driver's waltz without the park section, right? Yeah. That's yeah, that's kind of, it's like a different section of the, the park. And then just riding with you and getting to see parts of it. And then riding the Canadian Shield 400, also your route. There was so much single track and so many challenging bits. So then going in and doing the log driver's waltz sections of it, I was like, oh, well, this is easy, right? Like I'm on like a, you know, double wide trail and I don't have to... Um, <laughs> focus as much right mm-hmm. um yeah and there's a few other things that made it easier like i i started um in wakefield so i got to do it at the beginning of my ride versus the end which i think is is yeah less challenging for sure yeah i was talking to my wife about that i was saying you know like i started it in um Kazubazua and i went north up to gracefield and i started at night so by morning i was kind of where you were when you started so i was i was oh cool I was entering the Gano Park probably around 7.30 or 8 in the morning. And, um, yeah, I feel like it's a really good time to get it out of the way. You're not so far into the ride, or for you, it was starting with it and kind of getting that out of you while you're fresh. What are some of your other tactics on this ITT? Um, I started at 9 a.m., which sounds really late, but every event that, that I do, it always feels like it's such an early start, you know, 6 a.m., and then you're up at 4.30, and I'm always getting a bad sleep, super anxious that I'm not going to get to the start line on time or whatever. So, you know, with an ITT, you can choose where you start and what time you start. So I chose 9 a.m. because then I could just be lazy. Um, I picked a warm showers host, even though I'm staying in Chelsea, like 25K or less from the yeah, start. Yeah, 25. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, so I, I picked a warm showers host um, who lived at the start, like 3K away. Um, and, you know, I had to message him and be like, hey, like I'm very close by, but I'm doing this ITT and I'd like to stay closer to the start. And and he was keen to have me and he was a really, really lovely fellow. His name was Richard. And uh, yeah, so I think that was another part of it. So I didn't have to get to the start. I just started there at 9 a.m. Um, I picked Wakefield, which is... Um, not that far from Chelsea where Chris lives and where I'm staying because then I would get the Gatineau uh, Park section out of the way first thing because it is quite challenging and it's not what you would want to end a long ride on unless you're like a really sadistic person. Um, it's it's fun, but it's it would be hard in the dark. I wouldn't or, want to ride that after, you know, well, in your case, 43 hours, but like after at the end of like around hour 40, it's being hitting the Gatineau Park and being like, oh man, this is brutal. And like you're you're not as clear and focused. No. And you really need to be dialed in to have a good time on that. Like you do have to focus, right? And um, yeah, so I picked to do it first. Um, and did yeah. you see any of Corey's messages on the Log Drivers Waltz info page thing? I did. I creeped them a little bit. James was like, somebody's talking about you an awful lot. And I was like, oh, that's Corey. <laughs> <laughs> and he said it in a good way. Like, yeah. hey, there's hype and excitement. Um, his like analysis was so incredible. Like, yeah, it was, he was very like, good. It was very spot on. Um, and I like that he he actually took the time to go back and compare his statistics to where you were and saying like, Okay, so when she went through the park, it took her four hours or four and a half hours. It took me seven hours, and but I had a nap here, and then I did this, and like you know, so he was really kind of really kind of doing a comparison because he was a current uh, FKT holder. So it was really neat to hear it from that perspective. Definitely, and I love how open he is with his data and his insight. Like I think sometimes people get like a bit guarded about like their you know accomplishments and they don't want to give away too many secrets and Corey seems very much like an open book which is which is very cool so yeah yeah it was really neat um and I, I put a few comments in there too yeah so actually you wrote a heck of a lot in the last week because I was I thinking did. about it yeah, I'm like it's been a big week. we did the Canadian Shield 400 but I did the first day of it and then came at home because of Father's Day but um you did the Canadian Shield 400 which has a significant amount of elevation. Does and it? Everything. I didn't notice. No, eh? It felt so <laughs> fresh. And then like three days later, no, four days later. Yeah, three the, three rest days. So three not, rest days. not a ton of rest days between the two events. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Canadian Shield and the Log Drivers Walt. So in like one week period, you rode 1,200 kilometers, which is pretty wild. Yeah, it was definitely a big week on my Strava, for sure. I'm going to remember it. <laughs> I think that, um, you know, the weather was supposed to be a little iffy this weekend, and we could see today it's kind of, you know, rainstorms on and off, but it's not that bad. But I wanted to um, pick the best window for my ITT, and yeah. so that's why I kind of brought it back a couple days, because I was like, well, the weather looks kind of more consistent, warmer, and, you know, the heat can be an issue, but for me, I would rather not deal with the rain and sloppy road conditions. Mm -hmm. Like, I can, I can handle the heat whereas like I'm not so good at managing the road and I wanted to use narrower tires which could be more difficult in those mucky yeah, conditions if as the well. gravel roads get wet or, yeah. or rail trail too is really bad sometimes when it gets wet. Oh yeah definitely. How do you find um well riding here compared to BC like how do the terrain and stuff compare? Um like some of it's similar in that there's these uh you know it can be a bit chunky, kind of messy gravel, like loose and, and wild. Um, but the climbs in BC are very like long and continuous and you go up and then you plateau and then you go down. And here it's like, you know, up and down and up and down, um, which um, it's it's a little bit of an adjustment. It definitely keeps you on your toes. <laughs> doesn't get boring. So you're not grinding it out for so long. Um, I think in some ways it's almost better to be doing those little sharp peaks because if you're just grinding up you have to you know really kind of dig in for like an hour or two versus like kind of having these shorter bursts and right. yeah if you have the right gearing I think it can be okay at the same yeah on the other hand there were times where I definitely had to walk because I'm like I don't know how to do a 15% grade on tired legs like my legs just can't <laughs> It just can't right now. Yeah. So I'm just going to dismount and cruise up and hope that none of the animals in the woods are laughing at me. And what did you find to be the most challenging part of your ITT? Oh, man. Yeah. So you had mentioned the Bathurst line. I think that was okay for me because I hit that before sunset. Mm -hmm. And then I, I think I was just really tired when I hit it too. Yeah. Because so. you were hitting it quite a bit later based on your start time, right? Yeah, I was location. probably 12 hours more into riding. 
I think I had a really hard time in the uh, Frontenac Park, Frontenac Parklands. Like up on um, our call road. That yeah, area. that was pretty brutal. And there was just like literally rock you like were biking ATV, on. Basically ATV and off-road track. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, this this is a route, but it's not vehicle passable. And, and the mosquitoes and the flies were really brutal. And I had like spritzed myself down, but this was like after I had like broken my mosquito spray and so I could just like dump it on myself. So I was like trying not to poison myself, but also like splashing myself with mosquito spray. Yeah. And I hadn't peed the whole time because I had been like hot and not drinking enough. So finally I was like, oh, I have to pee. This is going to be great. And I just got like destroyed by mosquitoes. It was a terrible experience. So it was, <laughs> I did it, but um, yeah. Yeah. And the sun was coming up. Which was nice. Yeah, because you rode it at night, right? So, yeah, I mean, I guess the light. one really good advantage of riding that section at nighttime is you don't have traffic. Oh, yeah. So there was no one there. When I did it, there were like motorcycles. Oh, and, like, weird. had the side-by-side quads like coming like five, ten of them. There's so much dust. And it was, oh, it was a little wow. worrisome, you know, because you're like, what if they don't see me? Because the three first ones that go by leave a huge pile of dust. And then you're like, um, I'm going to stay really close to the edge of the trail and hope for the best here. Oh, that's really scary. No, it's completely different. It was like night getting into day, just the bugs, maybe a couple of deer. I saw a couple of skunks and stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, I yeah. hate. Oh, man. Like skunks always piss me off because they don't leave the trail for you. They just kind of keep walking down the no, rail trail. No, they don't care about you at all. They're on, I was, for me, it was like there was two or three skunks on the rail trail from Shawville in that section. And they just keep walking. And I'm like hanging back. I'm like, do I try to pass them? What do I do? Are they going to spray me? Like, should I be worried? So finally, I just picked up a handful of gravel from far away, and I kind of like threw it as hard as I can to try to get close to the the skunk, and then it ran off. My second most challenging section was probably the rail trail around, not Shawville, but Gracefield, the one we were talking about earlier, where it's just like super chunky, flat um, rail trail with, it's it's not, yeah, it's just almost impossible. It's so terrible. Dusted and been ridden on by four wheelers i think yeah it's not meant for bicycles mm-hmm. i don't know but the part where it's like double track like where it's two little single tracks and where i think four wheelers do go more commonly it's so packed that it, they don't impact the trail mm-hmm. but then all of a sudden you get to where they've groomed it and tried to make it more like better for pedestrians and people and it's horrible Oh, no, it was awful. I was going like 10K an hour and just like doing the math, being like, if this goes on for like six kilometers, then I'm not going to get to Gracefield in time to get food and resupply. Like, oh, and it's at the point in my day where my hands were so tired, my neck was so tired. I was just like, I can't, I can't handle this. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to DNF on a section of rail trail. <laughs> like how dramatic <laughs> would that be? What happened for you to DNF? Rail trail. <laughs> <laughs> rail trail is brutal though. Like, I mean, people... I don't know. People get this idea that rail trail, it's easy, but it's, you never stop pedaling. You're always just pushing because you're never going up or down so significantly that you can just like coast. So it, I mean, it is easier because you're not climbing big hills, but at the same time, I find like it's very taxing. Yeah, no, I totally agree. In BC, we've got some big climbs on rail trail and it's like 2% for hours and hours and hours and the sun's just beating down on you and and the same with the descents it's not even like enjoyable you're just kind of like cruising downhill it's not bad but um yeah i think it's more challenging than it it lets on before continuing on with the show i'd like to thank panorama cycles for sponsoring this podcast panorama cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in quebec canada dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel snow and off-road trails They believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures. Over the past year, I've been riding the Chick Shocks fat bike, the Katadin gravel bike, and the Taiga mountain bike. From everyday rides, bikepacking trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way, while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra fat bike race and helped me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bike Pack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. By using the promo code BPA10 when purchasing a new bike from PanoramaCycles.com, you'll save 10%. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to PanoramaCycles.com. Now back to the show. Well, let's talk about what you packed because... Not much. I mean, we say we pack our fears and... Um, I was like looking at her bike and I'm like, this girl is not afraid of anything. <laughs> she didn't pack a hell of a lot. 
Um, so. I had two spare tubes and I had two different like um, plug sets. So I think that says something. Mm-hmm. I had a Dyna plug and like another one. Did you have any issues with tires? No, I had nothing. I think I probably could Next time you don't need a packet. <laughs> I, I've never put a tube and a tubeless tire on my mountain bike or off-road bike, just on my road bike. But I still, I feel like I need to bring two because like, what, what would I, and how stupid would it be to DNF because I didn't have a second spare tube? Like, yeah, I packed, yeah, I didn't bring a bivy setup or anything like that. So for clothes, like what I was wearing, arm warmers, leg warmers, gloves, um, I brought a neck buff, a cap and a rain jacket. So no puffy jacket, no bivy or anything like that. So I, I really committed to riding through the night and just doing it all in one Did shot. Did you have your e-bivy or no? No. Not even. Nothing. I figured if I was going to sleep, I would have to sleep in the daytime in towns where there was no mosquitoes. Yeah, lay so on I'd- a picnic table and... Exactly. Yeah. And I did sleep in um, uh, Shawville for like maybe 15 minutes, just like in the church, but or like in the churchyard or whatever. But uh, yeah. And then I have a frame bag, like a triangle frame bag that like keeps my, I don't know, water bladder and like my extra clothes. And I skipped the seat post bag. So that was like a big difference because um, when you're descending on the rough terrain, for me, the seat post bag moves around a lot. It bumps against my wheel and not having it enabled me to just yeah. really like pick up the pace a bit and travel. I don't know. I think like with a lot less fear about not fear, but you know, worry and anxiety mm-hmm. at the same time. Like I really had to pare down what I was carrying. So what else did I bring? Bug spray. I definitely brought bug spray. <laughs> um, sunscreen, those types of things. And how much um, nutrition stuff did you pack? Yeah. So um, I'm supported by F2C Nutrition. So I used like a bunch of their Glycodurance product, uh, product which is just like a powder. And then um, a lot of candy, honestly. Yeah. Like I just kind of munch on candy. Uh, the warm showers host I stayed with gave me some banana bread, which was really sweet. Oh, is that, I saw the picture. Yeah. Yeah. So I stuffed in my pocket and I had it later that day. Um, and then at resupplies, I went for kind of baked goods, a uh, few salty things like pepperoni and stuff, and then lots of cold drinks um, just to kind of, yeah, keep the fluids coming in. I remember when we were talking um, prior to your ITT, and we were talking about that resupply before nighttime and hitting Almont, and I know things didn't work out for you. Did you know that Lanark was an option and you were kind of hoping to get there, or was that kind of all just up in the air? Yeah, like I kind of uh, didn't think I'd be as fast as I was, which I guess is like a good problem to have. But I thought I wouldn't get to Lanark until most of the places were closed. And I got there right before the grocery store there closed, which was awesome. Like I got to like resupply. But um, I wasn't super worried when I like, you know, kind of hit Almont and I didn't get the stuff I desired. But I figured that I'd be okay through the night. I had enough candy. Um <laughs> I sound like a terrible person. Like, I'm just going to eat candy from dusk till dawn. Um, now why we bike park? Right. But yeah, I wasn't so worried. I had my filter so I could always get water or whatever. And I, I resupplied on water a few times on, you know, just like taps in people's front yards and things like that. So it wasn't so difficult. Um, but I was pretty stoked to get to Lanark and be able to like actually get some stuff there. Um, and then when I hit Calabogie, the, uh, I was really excited. Oh, Charbet Lake. Did you even stop in Charbet Lake? I filled kinda... my bottle there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. But there was nothing open. No. And then I rode through until Calabogie and the store wasn't open there. And I think I could have ridden into town to like get to a cafe or something, but I... it wasn't open because it was too early. Or... Yeah. Yeah. I got there at like 7.15. It opens at eight. So, um, so I could detour into town, but I didn't, I don't like going off route. So I just was like, okay. And I tried to use the hose and it didn't work. It was like spouting water everywhere. Um, so I just kept going and I had enough food to keep going till um, I forget the next town after that. From Renfrew. Renfrew. Yeah. So I got to Renfrew and I stopped there and I had like a proper stop, went to the bathroom, used the toilet for the first time in 24 hours. Um, and yeah, just kind of enjoyed my, my time there and sat down a little bit. So. I know that there was some comments. I think uh, Jennifer Adams was saying like, oh, it looks like she's only stopped 19 minutes in the first 24 hours, but that's just the way the trackers work because they don't show all the stops because they, I don't know, I don't think they would calculate stops very well because they, yeah. they're on a timed timed intervals, right? Yeah, I definitely think that's true. I'm not sure how long I stopped that first day. You could probably like look at my Strava and analyze it a bit more, but it was more than 19 minutes for sure. 
Um, it was only 19 minutes. It would have been phenomenal. I know. I would have been so <laughs> impressed with myself. Um, but I definitely really focus on getting my stop time down. I think if you analyze me and Corey, the previous FKT holders, like times, you'll see that he was a bit faster than me on the bike, but took more stop time. So I think that's my opportunity to kind of like go a little or to, to get, you know, a faster finishing time is by um, reducing that stop time and just staying on the bike a bit more. I also think that if you're not going as fast, maybe, you know, maybe you're not working as hard and you can work at that slower pace for longer. And that's mm -hmm. probably part of my strategy as well, like trying not to go out as hard so I'm not pushing it so that I can just kind of keep rolling for longer. While, the, while you were on the route and things are going, like, were you analyzing and going, oh, wait, because I know you were saying, like, I'm hoping to finish in 48 hours. I think that was originally your, your kind of statement. Yeah, that's and, right. And then we were talking about, um, oh, who was it that was saying that if you set, somebody was, I think yeah, it was, it was Jenner time. Eric, one of them. They're like, if you set a goal, you never beat, if you set a time, you'll never beat it. You'll, you can only get it or, or slower because you're not going to naturally go faster. Well, I guess they were wrong uh, <laughs> because you definitely went to four and a half hours faster than your stated time. Uh, were you kind of doing that analysis as you're going? You're calculating the kilometers and you're like, oh, wait a second. Like, this is looking better and better. Yeah, definitely. I was kind of keeping track of my average Maybe and then how much stop time I was taking and how much stop time I thought I would need. Um, and then based on the terrain too, like I know if it's a more challenging single track, I need to rest more because it's like really mentally fatiguing for me. Like that kind of technical riding, as you know from riding with me, does not come naturally and I find it exhausting. Whereas if it's kind of, um, yeah, gravel roads, rail trail. Yeah, yeah I, I can do that for a pretty long time without having to take a break. Um, so I was kind of doing the mental math in my head. It was giving me something to engage with on the California road, the middle of nowhere. It's a great road. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of random, right? Um, and, and yeah, and I started, you know, being like, oh, okay, like I could, you know, if I take this much stop time, this is my average, I can do it like this. And I think the hard thing is you don't really know where the elevation exactly is on the map. You know, you can kind of see it, but it's, it's very interspersed. Like, it's not like you're just going to get it all over with right away. Like it's kind of all over the place and what it says it is in Ride with GPS is not what it is in real life. Yeah. So it's going to be, it's going to be more, but you don't know exactly how much or where. It's funny because it was even the same with the, the Canadian Shield 400. It was kind of catches you off guard and you have to just kind of be prepared for like knowing that you're going to be putting down a lot more meters of elevation gain than what it says. Yeah, definitely. Which makes it exciting, I guess. But you knew too, like from previous people's posts and stuff, you knew there was more elevation gain than what actual ride with GPS says for the log driver's waltz. Yeah, definitely. I think that was like hugely advantageous to me to be able to be here and talk with people who've done the ride like you or Gene um, and, and to get to, you know, hear bits and pieces from other people. So even though it was like new to me, I was kind of like, okay, like I kind of know what it's like going into different sections and I didn't underestimate it, which I think a lot of people, you know, probably do because it's and, you know, it's, it's kind of got a sweet name, the log driver's waltz. It's just going to be this fun dance in the woods. And it's, it's actually pretty hard. It's like more like a mosh pit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A little bit more. You're like grinding up that rock and yeah. Yeah. So how much F2C, what'd you call it, The carbo endurance stuff? Yeah. How much um, do you carry on you? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I use it a lot when I'm training. Um, I carried 15 servings, which I think is. 1500 grams and I started with 10 servings which is a thousand grams so I don't remember how many carbs that is but um yeah it's um, is that grams or calories I don't know I was gonna uh, say it can't be like one and a half kilos no it's not sorry right? those are calories so it's 1500 calories okay. and then 1000 calories so I started with 1000 and then I had 1000 already mixed into your yeah, water that's right yeah. and then the other uh 1500 I split between my next two like kind of water resupplies um one could carry more, but I just don't want to carry too much extra weight. Like mm -hmm. I want to be resupplying as I go. Um, and I use a product called Electrodurance, which is just like an electrolyte kind of salt powder, which I think is always good to take, especially when, you know, it gets pretty hot around here. And you just dump that in the same bladder as the um, other stuff? Um, yeah, so you can dump it in. You can also kind of just like dump it on your tongue and have it okay. that way as well. So it's pretty easy to use. Um yeah. So it's nice, I think, for me to have like a liquid nutrition product because my stomach doesn't deal great with food. Um, uh, like 
in general, I can eat normal food, but when I'm kind of at intensity, it just doesn't go down well. So I look for, you know, kind of easy to chew, mushy things. I had a whole bunch of bananas, like a bunch of pastries, stuff that just seems like it's going to like mush up and, and go down. Bananas easy. always disappoint me though. Cause they, they sit in your pocket for a few hours and then they look disgusting. Oh no, like, you got to eat them right away. Like I have like a, a rule, like the first snack I have is my banana. Okay. Like that's the first thing that I eat. Yeah, yeah, because they just get mashed. Mm -hmm. It's disgusting. Oh, definitely, yeah. So how did your experiences doing the loop-de-loop, is that that what it's called? I think so, yeah. And then the Canadian Shield and then the log driver's waltz, how do you compare them in terms of like, you know, I I remember we were talking you were saying, I rode some of these sections before and I thought they'd be so fast and easy and all of a sudden I realized I'm going so slow and it's so painful and it's hard and I mean, because you're tired, of course, and much further into your ride. The loop-de-loop is a pretty easy bikepacking route. It's yeah. about 330 kilometers. I did it over three days and didn't really rush it. I, I took it as a touring pace. I enjoyed myself. I stopped at bakeries. So um, though it had some, you know, steep pitches and challenging terrain, I didn't really, um, I didn't really feel too fatigued after mm-hmm. I finished it. It does overlap with the log driver's waltz. Mm-hmm. And when I was doing the log driver's waltz in those sections, I was way more fatigued coming into it. It was dark and I was doing them in the day on the loop to loop. So I, I didn't realize how disorienting and strange it would be going into, you know, Mont Saint Pierre and stuff. Mont Saint Marie. Mont Saint Marie, sorry. <laughs> Mont Saint Marie, like at night with fatigue under my legs. And yeah. I just didn't appreciate how different that would be like it was especially um, coming out of it when you come out and you're going back and towards the Denholm area it's like there's a lot of climbing there's so much climbing yeah yeah and and when you're not so fatigued it's like okay well here's a hill um but when you're at the end of an event and you're just kind of thinking about the finish line like it was and then it started raining but it was warm rain but still I was kind of like oh man did you bring stuff for rain at all or Mm, yeah I brought my rain jacket and some rain pants and some waterproof gloves I just threw on the jacket and then I kept taking it off because it got too hot. And so it was like on and off. And I was like, Megan, come on. Like- it's not raining hard. It's, it's the worst when it's not raining hard enough that you need to keep it on. And it's like the rain starts and stops. It's, it's not a terrible problem, but it's, it's a pain because you got to keep wanting to pull off the layers, right? Oh, definitely. It was like honestly mostly to like protect my iPhone in my pocket. Like that was like 90% of its purpose. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so I think that uh, it was much more challenging going into it with all that fatigue in my legs. Um, and then the Canadian Shield 400, like that, you know, very cool route, short, and I was going to say sweet, but not sweet, very challenging, like a lot yeah. of single track and stuff that surprises And it's out you. of your comfort zone because you're not a mountain biker. That's and- right, Yeah. And I think it's like very cool to have such a short ride with so much uh, challenge packed in there. Like, you know, I'm used to doing like 400K brevets where it's like, okay, you do this ride in a day. You know, there may be some elevation, but it's like very much smooth sailing, right? Whereas... um, And the brevets are paved road usually? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's all paved. (laughs) So you kind of know what you're in for versus like a a mixed surface route where it's like everything's kind of being thrown at you. And and that's, that's great and challenging, but it might not something you can even do over a weekend right it might be more than that so um so i think it was good to do before the log driver's waltz because it kind of set my standard for like challenge pretty high and so then when i was doing the log drivers and i was like oh okay well this is all we're double not track. going on the trails in Mont Saint so life is good <laughs> <laughs> we're not going up to the top right we're not doing the tower of power so tower of power is pretty cool it was because it has its own little <laughs> entrance gate and a gazebo. <laughs> uh, I liked how I wasn't the only one pushing my bike up the hill. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely like I, I've done it several times and definitely nice to just take a break and walk with your bike a little bit because it's really hard on the legs. And I think just walking a bit gives your, you know, use different muscles and just kind of gives your quads a rest for a minute, a little bit of recovery. Definitely. Yeah. I feel like my attitudes really changed from road cycling because in road cycling, I would never walk. Like it was so shameful, but off road, I'm just like, yeah, I could use the different muscles. It's good for me. Like I I switched over so quick. Yeah. And I think the grades on like off road routes are completely different, right? Like there's no standards. Like, whereas on a road, it's like, we only build roads with an incline this steep Mm. or whatever. Right. Versus like a trail. And it's like no rules, you know, yeah, yeah. And then also depending on like, I mean, there's some really tough, gnarly, like chunky, chunky, unserviced roads on both the log driver's waltz and the Canadian Shield that, you know, they're going to take you for a turn. 
Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you kind of have to be like, you know, am I, is my fitness and my mental space like, you know, strong enough right now to navigate this or should I just get off and like push my bike for a few minutes? Right. And I think if you're coming into it fresh, like, you know, you can ride most things, but if you're, if you're fatigued, like I would, I'd rather just hop off than risk falling. Right. I recently had a dislocated finger. I don't want to hurt myself again. Like I'm a little bit on the cautious side. So yeah, when I did the log driver's waltz, I, I bailed on some point after Campbell's Bay, like that whole big climb and descent. Um, I think I was climbing and I just hit one of those washouts, you know, that in the middle of the road and it just knocked me right off the bike. And so pissed off to myself, but it wakes you up and then you feel good for a while. You're like, oh yeah, adrenaline. It's good. <laughs> yeah. It's better to be awake than like fighting the sleep monster the last like maybe 50k i was i was fighting so hard to stay awake yeah was was it was that really like the only part of the event where you started to really feel it yeah the whole first night i was pretty amped up and excited like just about being out there and stuff and then you know the mosquitoes kind of keep you from getting drowsy there was a couple of like walking sections through giant puddles which you know obviously wakes you up like i have to take my shoes off well at least i chose to take my shoes off um and you know you're like that up in our call or yeah yeah. i think so um yeah and and uh there it was really deep water like i would not ride through it like it would be above the drivetrain for sure okay um so and like there i don't know i don't know about ontario and quebec like poisonous plants but i've seen a bunch of signs warning me so i'm afraid to like walk through stuff (laughs) so i was like i'd rather walk through the water and know i'm not going to get like some weird skin rash um so the first night like i was pretty amped up and into it the second night like i started to get pretty fatigued especially since i hadn't slept very much at all um and and it's so hard to fight that and i keep trying to like motivate myself and being like you know megan you're you're setting a new fkt like this is what you're doing and and you want to be doing this and you're in your moment like why you chose to do this yeah you chose to do this like wake up get with it you know um i think that um yeah like that's just like my biggest challenge and there's almost no fighting it and it's like because of the bugs like pulling over and taking a cat nap is just not an option most places at least not for me like i'll just get yeah and if you don't alive. do it during the day you're just you're stuck at night you're like it's too bad it's not an option no, yeah you just have to keep going and i think the risk of like injury is 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 quite a serious one right like if you fall asleep when you're descending like it could be like disastrous right so i i realize that's there so i'm um just yeah really focused on I guess mentally talking to myself and trying to to remain alert and awake but you can see my pace dropped off so bad at the end and I don't know I just felt like I couldn't do anything about it at the same time I'm really proud that I kept moving and I didn't just like stop and throw my hands in the air and be like I'm tired I give up but um, I I wish I was able to kind of be a bit more consistent anyways. How do you find um, like I find it also like there's always a challenging aspect to keeping that consistency um not just when you're tired, but you know, when you're 12 hours into a ride and your mind starts to wander and you might like you're riding your bike, but then you're kind of daydreaming about something, a scenario or whatever. But you're, I mean, you're obviously focused on the ride, but all of a sudden you look down and you see your, your speedometer slowing down because you're not so focused. Like how do you maintain, maybe I just suck at keeping my focus, but um, how do you maintain your focus? Uh, I think when I'm enjoying myself, I can focus better and just kind of like trying to be in the moment. Um, I think it's, it's necessary to kind of go elsewhere, you know, when you're on the bike, right? Like it's, I don't know. I don't think I could personally be dialed in every second of the ride. Um, but just trying to appreciate like where you are and what you're trying to do there. So if you're trying to set an FKT, you know, remember that's what you're doing. You're not just on a leisurely ride or whatever. Um, that being said, like at night I dim my computer so I don't use so much battery so I can't check the speed so easily. Right. And then, so when I do check it and it's like, you know, down at 15 and you're just like, Oh man, I really got to pick it up a bit. Um, so I definitely experienced that kind of you know, jarring realization as well. Um, yeah. And, and sometimes it's nice to have company, right? Like, and there was a couple of times where I like called someone and I was like, can you just talk to me for like 15 minutes? And they're like, um, like what, what, what about? And I'm like, just tell me anything. <laughs> like, yeah. just tell me about your day. I just, I can't talk. I'm on a hill. 
but I want some company. So I think that was very different for me because on the TCR, I was very much like in my own little bubble and I kind of suffered a bit mentally. Um, and I, I didn't, uh, reach out for help. And in this case, I was like, you know, I just need a little bit of a distraction. So just, you know, calling someone, asking them to tell me about my day or their day really, uh, yeah, helped me kind of get enlivened and motivated and then, um, yeah, be out there and enjoy myself again. Mm-hmm. I was actually at the uh, swimming pool on Friday with my students, uh, a little grade six afternoon trip. And at one point I was checking your progress and my students like, Mr. Panaski, what are you doing? I was like, <laughs> I'm so like it's stuck. So funny. And, you know, cause you just want to see how people are doing. You know, I was also checking out like the log, uh, the butter tart 700 and seeing how things are going there. And it was just, you know, it's all around good time. Oh man, there's so much going on right now. Yeah. With the tour divide and, um, Ram and. Isn't it wild that, um, last year's butter tart 700 FKT by Brooke, he was on a full suspension bike. And then this year, Kyle Messier, he took first place. I mean, he was four hours behind Brooks' time. Um, slightly different route. The route changed a little bit, but also full suspension. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't look at his bike. Oh, cool. That's wild. You'd think there'd be a disadvantage just weight-wise, but I think maybe suspension now is not that heavy in the grand scheme of things. I think there's probably been some upgrades in the past few years, right, and advancements. And I think a lot of the guys and girls on the Tour Divide um, use kind of the front shocks nowadays, right? And um, I've kind of considered it, but I don't think I'm ready for that technological leap. Like, I'm not ready for the maintenance. I'm just not ready for it. As soon as you get that it. front suspension, you're like, now I have to go ride all that single track. Damn I know. <laughs> <laughs> but like, Chris will be so proud of me. I, I will think that every single time for <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, I think it's a, it's something I need to keep working on. And, um, I actually signed up for a mountain bike clinic. It was like Wednesday nights for a month. Um, and then I dislocated my finger and I missed the first session. And then I caught COVID and missed the second session. And then the coach was like, Megan, you were kind of the weakest person in our group and you can't really rejoin if you've missed two sessions. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of too far behind, but um, I think that I'll I'll try and sign up for something like that. You definitely have to. Like, it's I think if you want to bike, well, I mean, you don't have to, but I mean, if you're going to bike pack race, there's going to be events that have more single track or more trail sections where just having that confidence would go a long, long way. For sure, for sure. And I think like, you know, it's not just about being fast, it's about being safe, right? And like those two things kind of, they're the same you can be fast and safe versus like you know someone i think i'm coming in you know i I don't always do the right thing and then i like wipe out because of it so if i kind of knew how to handle myself better i could um have better i definitely noticed it on the canadian shield 400 like you're you're that's not your jam single track (laughs) downhill you noticed it really yeah yeah. (laughs) it was going around the hairpins with your foot down to like (laughs) i was was like like, oh she's she's worried like (laughs) Oh man, when I did the AR seven hundred, I was like I unclipped for every single every single hairpin turn. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely an area I can keep working on. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we all have our areas, right? So it's uh, yeah, it was um super fun though. Super fun riding with you. Yeah, I was talking with someone else and we were kind of saying how like the nice thing about gravel and dirt, you know, bikepacking routes is that you can actually have a conversation with someone, right? Mm-hmm. Versus like road cycling where it's kind of like you know, you don't want to be side by side on the road or like, you know, you have to draft really close to actually hear what the person's saying. And then you have your conversations over the meals. Whereas like, you know, in, in off-road and mixed surface, like you can talk while you're biking, which is awesome. Like it's so yeah. much nicer. I was telling Seema that I said like, oh yeah, like we probably talked for like eight hours of actual talking time that day because we we're just side by side or tailing and just riding and just chatting and um, super fun to be able to do that. And and ride bikes at the same time it's definitely uh, the best of both worlds mm, yeah no I totally agree um, what else what else can we talk about um, we've talked about the uh, log drivers we talked about shield great summit super fun to be yeah, there how was your experience at the, the summit I, I met so many cool people and it was really awesome for me because I'm not from this part of the world right so to meet and make all these connections in like and a lot of more connections that people you 
you knew about too, I think. Yeah, or not maybe definitely. a lot of them, but some of them. Yeah. yeah, I know a lot of them. I was like following them on social media or whatever. So to get to see them in real life, it was it was super cool. Um, so like socially, I think it was a great opportunity to to meet a lot of people and you know ask questions or answer questions from people. And then yeah, I really enjoyed the presentations. Like I learned a lot of of stuff, and you know I'm uh, totally inspired and want to come back and do more bikepacking and like just experience the the region. It, even more yeah it's a pretty nice region there's i mean just because quebec and ontario are so huge they're so big right and surprisingly there's still lots of gravel to be found um, they're not all paved roads yeah yeah to me that's very cool because in bc like we i don't know we just have a lot less roads i think and more because there's less options roads. through mountains you only yeah have so many options that are ever made right definitely yeah but even like your road, like you live in this like nice house on an unpaved road. Like that to me seems really bizarre. Like, Well, it's bizarre to me because three quarters of our road is paved or like chip sealed, chip and tarred. And, and then my section's not. Yeah, it didn't quite make it to the end. Yeah, just ran to the money probably. Um, yeah, cool. Well, thanks for doing this little chat. Um, yeah, definitely. definitely. not a, a full, long, typical episode, but I think it's really cool to just have this chance to sit down and talk about your three four weeks in ontario slash quebec for sure yeah no i've uh i've really enjoyed the riding here um i thought i was going to spend more time in ottawa but it's like completely under construction and i do not like it it's it's such a big hairy mess right and it's now. so close it's like right down a hill it's it's right there and i just yeah did not enjoy my time there at all i think the best time was riding along the canals um during the log driver's waltz because then you just kind of avoid stuff but yeah, yeah that's a really nice section like just following the uh the Rideau canal oh yeah no that was gorgeous the experimental farm right oh yeah and that was a really cool area too but yeah I, I really don't think uh like i thought i was going to spend time in ottawa and i'll be like i'll check out some museums and art galleries and i was like no i'm not going there <laughs> It's so terrible. Um, it's much nicer up here in the nature and getting to just, you know, breathe fresh air and not going through construction zones. So yeah, I remember one of the first couple of weeks you were here, I was like, every day I see you posting a picture from Champlain Lookout. I'm like, she's there every day. She's there more than I am. Like, it's awesome. <laughs> it's such a good lookout. Oh, man. It's a beautiful spot. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for being here. And um, thanks for coming all the way to this part of the world. And uh, speaking at the summit and just being such a cool cat. Thank you to you and your family for having me and uh, being wonderful hosts. And um, yeah, I look forward to future summit events. Yep, we'll let you know. All right. Talk to you later and keep on pedaling. Bye-bye. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast to help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling. <laughs>